Well, welcome to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's good to have you along for the ride, as always, as we take a look at uh, every Tuesday through the uh, midterm elections, which will be happening on November 8th this year, 2022, uh, kind of reprising November 8th, 2016, because of a couple of leap years in there, and of course, the first Tuesday after the first Monday of November is Election Day on the national level. And it'll be interesting to see how the election goes this time. If you haven't registered to vote, if you've moved recently, we we are big in favor of bottom line show listeners being legally registered to vote. And I share that uh, in all sincerity because you may be illegally registered to vote in two different places and not even know it. Uh, Of course, one of the biggest uh, ways of voter fraud that does happen is if people move. I mean, it's just, it's not that big, some big conspiracy. Uh, you just, you move from one county to another, one city to another, and now your registration is not valid because, uh, well, I take that back. It's not that it's not valid. It may be still active in the place that you moved from and then active in another. And the, the guys at Judicial Watch have been doing a tremendous job of trying to clean up voter registration rules. And in doing so, you might you might hear statistics on occasion. They say, well, there's over, you know, more people registered to vote in this county or this state or whatever than there are actual eligible voters. Well, oftentimes that's not so much the Richard Daly vote early and vote often thing out of Chicago. It's really just a question of somebody moved. You know, I was living in Montana one year and the next year I moved to Oregon. That's my brother and sister-in-law story. And hey, guys, you're in town. I thought you might be listening today. <laughs> Sorry, we can't be with you for a little family gathering. But the idea that you, if you move from one state to the next, you have to let everybody know where you were is where you are no longer. And this is one case. I mean, I don't mind saying this. I'm not big on the motor voter laws in California at all. I hate the fact that if you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and you want to do anything with regard to your car, you have to first check in on your voter registration. They're really pushing that. And a lot more people are registered to vote in the People's Republic of California now than ever before, quite frankly, just because I want to drive, right? So I need to register my car, get my driver's license done, whatever it is, I've got to take care of that. And so that's something that we as Christians need to definitely take care of. So anyway, uh, the what the motor, motor voter thing has done, though, is made it easier for people to realize that their voter registration needs to be updated. And I'm assuming, <laughs> I realize I hate using that word, but I'm assuming that like in my case, when I got married, I had been living in Orange County, moved to Riverside County. So therefore, you know, I had to re-register. Um, and I did. You know, I went ahead and did that. Lisa and I both did, you know, under our married names uh, now, which is great. Not like Alexa Penavega and her husband, Carlos. We didn't do a uh, Roger and Lisa Hallmarsh or actually we probably could have. That would have been fun. And people would say, Hallmark? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, when we did do that, we did it through the Department of Motor Vehicles and ostensibly in California, that's supposed to cut down on voter fraud. Now, what it also does leave the door wide open for is the fact that there are a lot of people who are having party affiliations assigned to them if they choose not to pick one on their own. And that does leave the door wide open for one party over the other to kind of take advantage of that. But here's the problem. If you move to California from a different state, and not as many people are doing that of late, um, and you don't change your voter registration in the other state, then guess what happens? You're still registered in two different states or possibly three. (laughs) And the idea is we want voter registration to be legal, 
We want people to be able to prove that they are who they are. And the reason is not so that it's a, such an inconvenience for you and me. Please understand that my heart anyway, when it comes to voter identification, proof of showing who you are, is not so much to hassle you, not so much to harass you or harass, depending on how you like to pronounce it. But rather, it is all about making sure that nobody co-ops your right to vote. I mean, you do understand that, right? I think we, we as we the people should completely understand that. That we have a golden opportunity to let each person's vote be cast, each person's voice be heard. And I'm all for it. You know, I would much rather have somebody register to vote and have them vote in a way that I didn't necessarily agree with. And if somebody else co-op your your chance to vote and vote the way that you didn't want to vote. I mean, that's what makes 335 million people a United States of America organization is the simple fact that we each of us should have a vote. Each of us should have a voice. And so when you see the questions that were raised after the 2020 election, you know, a lot of people said, well, this is just sour grapes because Donald Trump didn't win and he wanted to win. You know, and even Biden was out saying, you know, fair and square election. Okay, we all know certain things about the election that did happen that weren't true. First of all, that whole fair and square thing. Statistically, the number of votes that came in and were not rejected in a sample size as large as the United States. The United States electorate in 2016, what was the total vote count? Hillary Clinton in the general vote had 66 million votes and Donald Trump at 63.5, we'll call it 64. So 66 and 64 was at 130, I've done on my calculator here, but 66, well, 60 and 60 is 120 and 64, so 130 million votes. And then in the general election in 2020, it was 81 million for Joe Biden and 74 million for Donald Trump. So we went from 130 million votes to 155 million votes. That's a huge increase in the number of votes. What, 20%, something like that? And we're talking millions of votes now. So then the question is, how many of those votes that were cast were cast legally or illegally? Because remember, the number of people who voted absentee people who were dropping ballots off at ballot boxes. Remember how many states did not have ballot boxes for drop-offs set up in ways that they could be monitored. I mean, literally, you take a place like California that says, yes, you can ballot harvest. Ostensibly, you could ballot traffic, but any place could be a place to drop off ballots. And then, of course, the left goes, wait, Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, you can't drop stuff off there because that's a church. But Joe's Liquor Store, no problem. Now, I mean, there, there were a lot of inconsistencies. If you're going to have ballot boxes in and around, ideally, your, your drop-off ballot box would be the U.S. Postal Service. The concern was with the increase, 20% more ballots counted, the Postal Service would be overwhelmed and overworked. And the reality was there was. There were. <laughs> it happened. But statistically, though, it's a m- modern miracle that we can have a, an election like we did in 2016 where there were 130 million votes cast. And of those votes, um, I want to say half, I'm just, this is a ballpark figure, were cast early by mail or, you know, in, in the uh, absentee ballot mode. And statistically, the number of ballots that were rejected, that's typically where they come from is the mail-in drop-off mode. 
I mean, usually a ballot can be checked for verification and everything squared away at the polling place. So the margin of error there is usually very small. But typically, it's around 4% of the ballots that come in through the mail or are dropped off at, you know, drop-off places are rejected simply for a number of reasons. Number one, most common reason is the person who cast the ballot there is not registered to vote there. And since the person, you're rejected. Like I said, if, if I, as a former Orange County voter, was registered to vote now in Riverside County, but for some reason I decided to vote at my old polling place, that vote there would be thrown out. If I tried to mail that in, in my old, through that old jurisdiction, if the paperwork came to me and said, here's stuff for your old address, and I put that in the mail and sent it in, that ballot should be rejected even if it was the only one I cast. Now, it's conceivable that if I did cast that ballot, I might have also gotten one at my new address. And if that were the case, then, well, you'd get the idea. I could potentially vote twice. I worked with a man, a Christian man, who worked in ministry, who used to do that. He and his wife bought a home. I share this story all the time. They bought a home in a beach community here in Southern California. They had been from the Midwest. They purchased it. It was an estate sale. The elder gentleman had lived there. He'd passed away. His kids sold the uh, the estate. For whatever reason, the registrar voters did not take his name off the roster after he had passed away. That happened to my good friend Joe Battaglia, who you hear on the Bottom Line show. Uh, his wife died after a long illness. Joe's an author, a publicist, just a great guy. And for two years, two election cycles after his wife passed away, he had to go to the registrar voters in New Jersey and say, this is voting stuff for my wife. She is deceased. She's not here. Joe's happily remarried great story uh, this fun love story that they have i hope they write a book about it sometime but yeah he's, he had it's bad enough that you had to bury your spouse of 37 years but then they keep going back to the registrar of voters and saying please stop sending her stuff to my house because i don't want this in my house i mean i don't want the reminder but also what if someone got a hold of it and turned it in and now his late wife is voting for somebody i mean that that's crazy the idea of who can vote and how they can vote got blown way out of proportion to the 2020 presidential election because all of a sudden now with the COVID vaccine virus and the vaccine not being on the horizon and people being concerned about health, we were told by the federal government that everybody has to vote absentee because health and health risks. Now, what's interesting uh, to see how the media went left and right on this. The, the idea that somehow the election was stolen because there were behind-the-scenes doings that were going on in different states. Uh, the Trump administration filed 42 different, it might have been as high as 70. I, I lost track at one point. All these different challenges to elections, they were all thrown out. Last Friday, though, the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin issued a ruling that kind of brought some of these Trump lawsuits back into play. With regard to the actions of the Wisconsin Elections Commission and their directives as to what they told election clerks about how they could set up drop boxes and where they could set up drop boxes as an alternative to the in-person return of absentee ballots. We're going to take a look at this. It's a victory for the Trump administration. The question is, would it change the election outcome? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. 
You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. And I said, well, 4D money is a fun thing. It's exactly the opposite of what you have now with your one-dimensional account with Ameritrade. You've been watching that thing drop like a rock since the first of the year. You're probably fed up with it. I said, this account, number one, the money never goes down. Number two, it has inflation benefits. Number three, it has long-term care benefits. Number four, it has permanent income benefits. And so when you put all these things on the same page and show it to a client, it sounds too good to be true. And that was his comment to me. I said, well, you know me a long time. You know it's true. I don't make stuff up. So he met with Tess, and we moved his Ameritrade account in a matter of 30 minutes. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Coming up, by the way, about an hour from now, uh, we're going to talk about another Super Tuesday issue that's kind of a walk-the-talk type of deal with regard to some claims that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren has made about the Pregnancy Resource Centers now that Roe versus Wade has passed, and she's gone on full-scale attack saying that these are unlicensed, they're, they're, they're hurting women, they're, they're damaging health, and the walk-the-talk part is a leader in the pro-life community has stepped up and basically is answering every one of her challenges saying, au contraire, <laughs> quite quite the opposite. So speaking truth to power is important, doing so with gentleness and respect in a loving way. It's what we're doing here in this Super Tuesday segment of today's program. Uh, if you realize, of course, that absentee voting is here to stay in many states uh, like folks in Colorado, Oregon seem to like it. Typically, states that are more blue and more left-leaning are more in favor of it, quite frankly, because they know what the outcome of the election is going to be before it even goes down. But one of the states that was hotly contested, one of the swing states had about 20 electoral votes up for grabs, was the state of Wisconsin. And as the January 6th committee blathers on about all the, you know, all the wrongs that were done to America, apparently, on that day by the guy with the hat, you know, and the, and the face painting and the whatever, um, and the... <laughs> Every time they have another breaking story, breaking news, you know, Cassidy, what's her name, you know, comes in and says, I heard that somebody tried, you know, Donald Trump tried to take the wheel of the, of, the, uh, of the limo he was riding in. And then other two Secret Service agents who were in the limo say he couldn't physically reach us if he wanted to. There's no way that story happened. But one of the big fake news stories that we heard, and this reports from the Wisconsin Examiner, one of the big fake news, you know, falsely claims of Donald Trump was that... Um, the uh, it's amazing what they attribute to this. I got to read from the article here. Uh, the justices on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court have decided last week that drop boxes for absentee ballots are not legal in the state of Wisconsin. The Supreme Court ruled that the Wisconsin Elections Commission acted illegally when they told election clerks that they can set up drop boxes as an alternative to the in-person return of absentee ballots. Now, in-person return, you're familiar with that. Your local post office will handle that. You could stop by city offices. I think you could do it sometimes in police departments. Any place where you would have some kind of uh, civic obligation here, public employees, that type of stuff. I mean, why not do it fire departments too? I don't know. In some place, it's going to be manned on a regular basis where there's a trust level that you can drop it off. And the problem with a lot of the Dropbox rules was that they were rather sketchy. And so people were kind of making up their own drop boxes. And it's amazing to me how the left was perfectly fine with drop boxes everywhere that were unsupervised, unless it was at a church or at a Christian university or something. Then all of a sudden, wow, now, wait a minute, we got a problem here. You know, 
I mean, if you're going to set up drop boxes, there has to be some kind of monitoring because, quite frankly, we live in a sinful, fallen world and people are evil and they're going to do evil stuff. One of the challenges of the Wisconsin election, though, was, in fact, the fact that Wisconsin was setting up drop boxes whenever they wanted to. They had actual bona fide absentee ballot collection places, but then they were telling the Elections Commission, you could set up anywhere you want to. On in January of 2021, the Waukesha, excuse me, Waukesha County judge said that absentee ballots must be returned through the mail or dropped off in person to the municipal clerk. That's the law in Wisconsin. So for the Wisconsin Election Commission to basically say, or wherever else you want to pick that stuff up is illegal. Now, of course, you know, here we go with the Wisconsin Examiner. You know where they line. For nearly two years, Trump has been pushing baseless allegations that the 2020 election in Wisconsin and several of the sweepstakes were fraudulent. Following his demands, Wisconsin Republicans have continued to search for signs of misconduct. Well, guys, I mean, trust me on this one. The Wisconsin Elections Commission are not elected by the people to serve. They are appointed bureaucrats. They arbitrarily change the law about where the drop boxes could be set up and how people could return absentee ballots. The Wisconsin Supreme Court did not judge in favor of the challenge from the Trump campaign simply because the Wisconsin examiner says, well, you know, there's four conservatives on the bench and they got a majority there. And that's, of course, that's how they're going to rule. That kind of thug mentality comes from the left all the time because that's the kind of thug mentality that the left tends to favor. You will support same-sex marriage or else. You know, that type of stuff. We're free to be welcoming and inclusive to anybody unless you disagree with us. And then, oh, there is no Dana, only Zool, right? I mean, my goodness. Now, so what does the Wisconsin Examiner do with this issue? They say, well, now Trump is falsely claiming that the decision renders votes cast via Dropbox invalid. Well, that may be the next step in the judicial process. These are not baseless allegations. I mean, the idea that the Wisconsin Examiner is lying to their readers. For two years, Trump has been pushing baseless allegations that the 2020 election in Wisconsin was fraudulent. Well, guess what? If this is, in fact, the case, the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin has, in fact, ruled that arbitrary placement of drop boxes to collect ballots is illegal. Therefore, votes cast there should not be counted. So how is that now a baseless claim? That's a very factual claim. You have a state Supreme Court ruling that ruled in favor of the challenge to the actions of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Full stop. Now, can the election be decertified? At this point, no. It can't. You've heard Dr. John Eastman on with me many times before. As a matter of fact, John's in hot water right now with the January 6th commission and other people because he actually had conversations with President Trump. He had conversations with Ginny Thomas. Heck, he had conversations with me too. Where's my subpoena? I mean, you want to get right down to it. Now watch. Excuse me, Mr. Martin. Oh, sorry, just letting that one go. It's interesting because here's the what's going on now. The Speaker of the State House of Representatives in Wisconsin, Robin Voss, appointed uh, former Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, served on the Wisconsin Supreme Court for many years, as a special counsel to investigate the election. The investigation has turned up no evidence of fraud per se. 
However, he did find that the placement of the drop boxes did leave the counting of those votes into some kind of suspicion. Now, Justice Gableman has suggested that the legislature could decertify the 2020 election, but at this point, you have to wonder whether or not it's even possible. Um, by the way, this is where another thing, leftists have no money spent, no trouble spending your money on things that they like. But the minute something like this comes up and it comes back with a decision they don't like, well, Gableman's investigation has been going on for a year and it cost taxpayers a million dollars, far more than his initial budget. Well, guess what? How much did the Mueller investigation cost us? How much did the James Comey investigation cost us? Millions of dollars countless years, wasted energy, all to find out that, yes, it was Hillary Clinton and her minions that actually made up the whole Russia's colluding with Donald Trump to steal the election from Hillary Clinton story. I mean, God, the best thing about telling the truth is you never have to remember what you said. The worst thing about lying is you can never tell just one lie. Now, None of the allegations of fraud from any of the Republicans have, in fact, been proven. There are lots of audits that have been done and investigations. However, here's the question. How many districts used drop boxes in prior elections that can be verified and certified, et cetera, et cetera? It's funny because the Wisconsin Examiner is trying so hard to prove that Donald Trump's lying. But the reality is, if the Wisconsin election... This is a very simple ABC here, folks. If the Wisconsin Elections Commission did, in fact, illegally authorize the placement of drop boxes where they should not have been placed, then you have two... I mean, as far as I can tell, you have two options. Option number one is you toss those ballots all together and say they were illegally corrected, they were improperly placed... Not the fault of the citizens, but the fault of the Wisconsin Election Commission. Uh, now you have to retabulate all the votes. The second option would be to have a special recount of the election, letting everybody know in ahead of time whether, you know, if you voted at any of these drop boxes, your vote was not cast and counted properly. We're having a special election, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. And at this point, this is one state. And would the 20 electoral votes actually bring Donald Trump closer to a victory? We're halfway through the Biden-Harris administration. It doesn't really matter. But on the other side of this break, though, I want to talk about why this is important, not only as a uh, decisive victory for us as American people, not just for Donald Trump, because I, quite frankly, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm part of that <laughs> new poll that says 50% of Republicans don't want Donald Trump to run for election in 2024 but also why all Americans should be concerned about the fact that this kind of decision was made. And it was a technicality that kept most of these suits from being heard. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You're unlikely to surprise Brian Edgel, a real estate broker with a law degree. K-Bright's smart choice home seller has sold over 400 homes, likely including one in your area. Brian's longevity in the real estate industry equips him to help you navigate tricky situations that a less experienced real estate agent might not have encountered before. Recently, a client needed to sell a home contained in a trust. With his legal background, Brian has written his own trust in the past. He's also been the successor trustee for his own parents, so he can 
could easily explain all the confusing details to the client. Brian has sold homes in foreclosure for clients in bankruptcy. After 20 years of selling homes, Brian prefers to handle the process personally instead of handing off the transaction to an assistant because he knows how to communicate clearly to his clients, eliminating the stress of the unknown. Call Brian Edgel now for qualified guidance at only 2.9% total commission. 800-969-3992. Again, 800-969-3992. Or go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're trying to just get to the bottom line on why, finally, we have one challenge to uh, the voting process of the 2020 presidential election that actually went the way I think conservatives would like to see, and that's the Wisconsin State Supreme Court ruling that the Wisconsin Election Commissions did act illegally when they told local election clerks that they can set up drop boxes as an alternative to in-person return of absentee ballots. There was a judge earlier in January who had ruled that the absentee ballots must be returned through the mail or dropped off in person to the municipal clerk, and you couldn't just randomly set up drop boxes wherever you want to. This was part of uh, HR1, Nancy Pelosi and company trying to get through uh, from the House of Representatives that wants all the mail and uh, all voting to be done through the U.S. mail, and they don't want states to have their own rights with regard to doing this. In Wisconsin, they have rules. This is a violation of their state constitution. Full stop. So the idea that one of the local papers is saying, well, Donald Trump falsely claimed this and baselessly claimed that. The reality is they said, look, there were rules that were changed in Wisconsin that made it more favorable for one party over the other. And he was right. So you got to give him credit where credit was due. Now, why did the Trump administration lose so many of their challenges during the two months after the election, right before the inauguration of Joe Biden? That was because of a quote unquote lack of standing. Their legal team, the Jenna Ellis, Rudy Giuliani crowd, did not, in the view of the court, have legal standing to challenge the cases. In this case, the case was brought, legal standing, precedent, and so now it's a big deal that these ballots were cast, especially when you consider in the popular vote, Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by 20,000 votes. What if these votes that were cast in the improper uh, ballot boxes are then recounted, taken out of the mix, and Donald Trump winds up winning by 20,000? That's 20 more electoral votes, and it would just wreak havoc on our national election process. But knowing what the law says and now having a case study gives us a better indication as to who is the liar or who are the liars when they talk about the big lie and the fraudulent baseless claims. This is something that was claimed a baseless claim by the media that turned out to be actually based in fact. And if we can't look at the truth square in the eye and call it what it is, regardless of whether it helps your candidate or not, then we're not doing our, our job as Christians and as discerning citizens. So a little analysis, balance, and clarity that leads to, to some discernment and edification here on this Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. As we continue, pastor and author P. Brian Noble has embarked on a ministry that uh, he says has been life-changing for him. It's peacemaking. And he has written a new book about daily wisdom for peacemaking as part of Peacemaker Ministries, as a part of justice and restoration and things of that nature. Brian's going to join me for a conversation about why that's so important now more than ever. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Here at Kbright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home, it was like two days before Christmas, and I was sitting at the bottom of a hill, and somebody just came smashing into me. Like, they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. 
I had a lot going on in my life at the at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Blessed are the peacemakers, Scripture tells us, and yet for some reason... A lot of us in the body of Christ are of the opinion that peacemaking is actually more peacekeeping. Can we just get everybody to get along and that will, that will be the solving of our problem? We have to acknowledge that conflict is inevitable. It can happen in our relationships. It could even happen in the church. What do we do about it, though? That is the key. And uh, pastor and author Brian Noble is with me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about a brand new resource that he has created that... Uh, promises a lot, and I think delivers too. The book is called Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, The Importance of Biblical Peacemaking, Justice, and Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'll call you this one time. P. Brian Noble, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, great. Thanks for having me on today. I think we've established the P is silent for our purposes, but it is definitely necessary for writing. Is that accurate? Yeah, so it's Paul Bryan. So if there you're you upset go. in the middle of the interview, call me Paul Bryan. We'll see what <laughs> I love it. There. I love it. Yeah, well, good for you. Maybe the Paul got a little too tiresome and the Brian worked out better. But let's talk about this daily wisdom for peacemaking because the, the reality is there are a lot of people who are saying, okay, Brian, I hear what you're saying, and I get it. And I know that peacemaking is that's the whole core of your ministry, but you don't know what it was like being me as a kid. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it's like in my life right now and I'm not sure that peacemaking is my quote-unquote spiritual gift. Kind of help deflate that balloon, if you would, before we start. Yeah, what's really interesting is that we have Jesus, the Prince of Peace, dwelling inside of us. This mm -hmm. is the same Jesus that was able to overturn tables, yet sit down with children, yet able to take a sinner caught in adultery, and then talk to the religious leaders. I mean, we see all aspects of his life, God, you know, Jesus as God, and coming in and touching life, and yet he was called the Prince of Peace or the ultimate peacemaker. And so we oftentimes see peace as weakness, but I can guarantee you that the Prince of Peace is not weak whatsoever. We can have abundant clarity and yet still be palatable so that people can understand what we have to say. One of the things you address in this book, I really appreciate, and that is the fact that oftentimes we think we know what the purpose for peacemaking really is. It's to get rid of the conflict, get rid of the stress, get rid of the strife, get rid of the struggle. But when Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I, sometimes I get the sense that he had a different purpose for peacemaking in mind, and you highlight that in the book. Talk about what you mean by that. Yeah, so when Jesus talks about the peace, that whole sermon is kind of like upside-down living, you know, blessed if you're mourned, blessed if, you know, right. and the peacemakers, and then he talks about those who persecute you right after that. And so he gives the idea of humility, he gives the idea of clarity, he gives this the idea of living different and responding different than the world. So how does the world respond? We blame shift, we call names, we we belittle, we do all these things to try to get our way. In the church, it's more common that we go silent, but in our hearts, we become judgmental. 
And so God wants to deal with all those things, whether it's the silence or the outward expressions. He wants us to live in a way that we take those tensions of our life so that we can honor and glorify him and, and bring attention to his name because we're living differently than the world lives. I'm talking with Pastor Brian Noble today here on The Bottom Line. Brian is the CEO of Peacemaker Ministries, and he's the author of a brand new book on this topic called Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, The Importance of Biblical Peacemaking, Justice and Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I, I realized as you were sharing this uh, that you have a, an issue, Brian, with the fact that a lot of people in church wind up butting heads with each other over and over again because their thought is, well, Peacemaking is about me and that guy in my church or that woman in my neighborhood or this, that, right. the other thing. And we don't think about it as being, hey, the peacemaking starts. It's a spiritual situation, first and foremost, before the other uh, the material takes place. Talk about why this spiritualness, I mean, the spirituality rather, is key for peacemaking. If we don't get that right, it's not going to it's not going to work at all. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because a lot of times people don't understand their identity in Christ, the foundation of who they are. And if you're trying to do peacemaking, if you're trying to act it out, but don't understand at the core foundation of who you are is that you are the Prince of Peace dwells in you and that you are a peacemaker because that's what you is. If you, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that really helps us to, to pull in that that is not just a um, uh, something, an action, outward action that we do, but it really is an inward uh, foundation of who we are as, as a person. So the book is written like, so that it's just one-on-one -on -one that we're talking through scripture and we're saying, look, look at your identity, look at your calling, look at the foundation of your walk with God, because those in conflict, what we find, uh, they have a higher um, rate of, of not understanding who they are. And so they begin to fight for all these things that quite frankly, a lot of them just don't matter. You know, they're, right. they're right. things that aren't the most important things in this world. And so they fight for the, the small temporal things instead of fighting for the eternal things, the gospel message to be flowing through their life. Right. And I can, I can imagine, Brian, you probably counsel a lot of people who are saying, well, you know, I've, I've got to get this right because no one talks to me like that or no one cuts me off on the road or, you know, whatever it is. And you begin to realize, well, peacemaking isn't just getting the other guy to see that you were right in that situation, but rather it, it involves taking a look at it from a spiritual, eternal perspective and, and really moving on that. You have broken this down. And again, I, I, one of my biggest pet peeves, I'm sure it, it probably is for years as well, uh, in the modern church is the fact that oftentimes we try to boil things down to a three, four or five step recipe. You know, here's four, four key ingredients for your kids turning out grade five. More. I was reading a column the other day. You know, I surveyed 70 parents and these are the four traits that their successful kids had. And I thought, oh, great. You know, right, what, what? I don't need that. But right. yet you have looked at the peacemaking process and you do identify four common steps. So this is not a guarantee that all the peace is going to be made. But it's a good way to start getting this in perspective. Walk us through that. Yeah. So the first is to discover the story. Think about Jesus's encounter with humanity. He oftentimes listens to people's story. They, he listened to what their perspective is. You know, the woman at the well, he's asking, like, where's your husband's? And, you know, he's going through this. Then the second step is to go back to our biblical core values. And Jesus does this. He, he, he shows us repeatedly throughout scripture of getting that foundation. You say this, but I say that. And he brings people back to that foundation of what are the, what is the word of God? What's the biblical core value? And then he tells them, take responsibility. Hey, go and sin no more. Take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye and make and implement a plan. Now, the woman at the well, it's interesting because she made a plan and she told her whole community about the savior. 
Um, the prodigal son, same, you know, I know that's a parable, but the same concept. He set his mind on his heavenly father. He took responsibility and said, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he did something. He got up and he went. And that's where a lot of Christians, they have great plans in their head, but it never hits their feet to go out and go and implement the plan of humility to, to be a baker with those around you. You know, I'm talking with Pastor Brian Noble today here on The Bottom Line about his brand new book called Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking. We have a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And it's interesting as you talk about these four different aspects of the process, what it involves, because every one of them from getting the whole story, you know, not only knowing, being aware of your own story in this situation, but getting the, uh, the perspective of other people and then looking at it objectively. We do a, a little exercise here on The Bottom Line Show. I call it the ABCs where we do, we'll take a story and then do analysis, balance, and clarity from right. all different angles to try to drill down because then the D in the equation is discernment. And then the E is edification. So, I mean, in hopes, and people would say, oh, this is so great. Have you found, Brian, that in a social media world where everything is fight or flight, everything is like this or don't like that, swipe left, swipe right, you have to make these split second decisions, it feels like, on some of the most important issues of all of life that it's getting either tougher and tougher for people to do, or there might even be a whole generation coming up that really doesn't understand what it means to listen to somebody else's story, to look back to scripture, to take personal responsibility, and then to implement a plan to move forward. Yeah, I do. So this last weekend we had at our, at our church, a candidate forum, right? And so we had a Democrat and Republican kind of debating in our forum, oh, nice. right? So they were mm -hmm. kind of going at it a little bit. And I stepped in as a peacemaker and I said, and we only did the first part. This is what you need to understand. It, it's not a one, two, three, four kind of formula. It's it's like there's components that you need to apply at the right time, you know? Okay. So we stepped in and I said, whoa, whoa, you guys are talking over each other. And I said to the one gentleman who is a Democrat, you'd speak first, you get one minute. He spoke, the other person listened. Then I said, now you get one minute. He spoke, the other person listened. We went back. I said, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. This is really helping us out because they just start talking over each other right. as they're going. So I just refereed that for about, and we only did story. We didn't even say what's your core values. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, we didn't do all that. Um, but we we just did the story part. And that's where if we can learn those things, it, it it's hard when our emotions are sending dopamine to our frontal cortex and we're not <laughs> thinking properly. Yes. But it really helps if someone kind of guides us through that conversation and, and brings us to a place of sensibility. I love this. Uh, pastor and author Brian Noble is with me today here on The Bottom Line, CEO of Peacemaker Ministries, ordained minister and author of the book, Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, The Importance of Biblical Peacemaking, Justice and Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, we're going to talk about the responsibility that we have to other people as part of the peacemaking process. It's one thing to get our own act together, understand our own, you know, own our own stuff, if you will. But what role do we have in helping other people uh, do the same? We'll talk about that with Pastor Brian Noble in just a moment. The bottom line continues. Pete Brian Noble, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Barsh, pastor and author of the book, Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, The Importance of Biblical Peacemaking, Justice and Restoration. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brian is the author of three books, The Path of a Peacemaker, this one, and also Living Reconciled. And as the CEO of Peacemaker Ministries, this is kind of our way of saying Brian Noble, that peacemaking is a really big deal to you. Uh, it, <laughs> talk about that. It is, you know, because when I first started pastoring, when I was uh, 30 years old, I split a church and I said, God, there's got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And uh, my leadership was poor. I didn't do a good job of leading the flock. And I came across Peacemaker Ministries because we've been around for about 30 years. And I was like, man, this makes sense. Like humility makes sense. And 
And the idea of owning your own stuff and taking, getting the log out of your own eye makes sense. And so I started using that and I was, God, by his grace, entrusted another church to me that we grew to be a peacemaking church. And so that's why it's so important to me. And then in my own marriage, my parents were divorced. I had a lot of strife growing up. And so it, it was difficult at times. And so Tanya, my wife, she'll say, go out and teach peacemaking. So you remind yourself of the skills, right? <laughs> and I love it because it's yeah. like, it, she says, I see a difference in you. And when your spouse says that, I mean, at least my spouse says it, it, it blesses my heart that God's doing something in my heart through his word. Mm, I love that. And well, I, I guess we should, uh, we can kind of circle back around to this, but uh, I was teasing you in the opening segment about being P. Brian Noble right. and uh, the fact that you said, well, only when I'm in trouble, you know, do people right. call me Paul, but, but there's a story behind that and why that initial is so you're, there's no, uh, you're not putting on airs or trying to be hoity-toity by saying my name is P. Brian Noble, but no. there really is a story that that's part of the peacemaking reconciliation process behind that. Share that with us. Yeah. So my parents went through a nasty divorce and I just through a lot of not understanding my dad and I was living with my mom and just this back and forth every other week and weekend, it just was a lot of tension as a kid. And I, at some point switched my name from Paul to Brian. And it was kind of in a way of not intentionally dishonoring my dad, but it was to make my own person and that kind of thing. Well, his, his name was Paul also. His name is Paul. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Paul Wallace okay. and I'm Paul Bryan. Okay. And then when I came to know Christ or Christ chose me or however you want to say that at 18, uh, about 19 or 20, the Lord just challenged me. He says, you need to honor your dad by putting P back on your name. Mm. And so I started doing that and I would sign it and say, we are reconciled P Brian Noble. I just wow. have that in my head oh, every it. time I would sign my name. And, and it's just a way to say, dad, I honor you. Everything's at the cross. It's good, you know, and, and we're moving forward. And so that's why I use, I, I use that on my books as a form of honoring my father who has been invaluable in my life. It just went, we went through a season of not understanding each other. That is so wonderful. And Brian, for the listeners of the Bottom Line Show, who I hear from on a regular basis, who are definitely in the, uh, the, you know, the golden years, you know, the, the final laps of life in some cases. We have folks in their 70s, 80s, 90s, right. and we don't know how many days God's going to give us. So, I mean, I'm 60, but who knows? I mean, you never can tell. But to have that kind of reconciliation, not only you were able to live that with your dad, but I can imagine that it must be tough for someone who didn't get a chance, you know, in their young adult years or adult years, there was that big, split and we don't get to have that field of dreams moment where you said you know i left at my dad i was 17 and i told him like it's that whole story rake and sell itself, uh yeah. to uh, terrence mann in the story and that's how it is for a lot of people so the fact that you were able to not only uh experience that but also live it out and share that as a story that's part of your testimony uh as, as well i'm talking with p brian noble today here on the bottom line and typically capture your dad there uh, the book is called daily wisdom for peacemaking the Importance of Biblical Peacemaking, Justice, and Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's amazing how we hear the term justice used a lot. And we hear social justice or racial injustice, this, that, and the other thing. One of the things you talk about in the book is something you call relational injustice. Talk about what you mean by that. Yeah, so we cause relational injustices and we experience them all the time if you think about it. You know, anytime that we break relationship, we have that injustice take place. And I love to say this at your greatest point of injustice is your greatest opportunity for Christ likeness, because mm. Jesus who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He died on the cross for our, on our behalf. And yet as believers, oftentimes what we want is we want no injustice in our life and yet to be like Christ. And it's impossible because the whole salva salvation message is the very fact that Jesus was sinless and died. And, uh, and so that's where we can step back and not become victims in the situation, but step back and say, listen, 
If it's an injustice I've caused or one that I've experienced, it's the same solution. It's the cross that brings justice to yeah. that. Jesus paid the price for it. And it's not going to be the other person's repentance or the other person's reaction. Or Because sometimes people die and you can't, you can't reconcile right. with them. Right. It, it's simply Jesus. It's a lovely thought that, uh, that even though those injustices are very commonplace, that there is reconciliation and there is peacemaking and that can take place. I highly recommend Brian Noble's book to you. It's called Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, The Importance of Biblical Peacemaking, Justice and Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Brian, you and your wife, Tanya, have a longstanding marriage. You have four children. Uh, you've got a grand, your, your grandpa. Congratulations. Grandpa, welcome, yeah. welcome to that club. Um, I, I understand one of your daughters, though, uh, has a genetic disorder. And I wonder, I wonder what it's been like for you making peace with certain aspects of your life. You mentioned making peace with your dad. You had kind of a tumultuous childhood as a result of your mom and dad's divorce. What was it like when your daughter arrived, when you realized this is the way that, you know, she came, uh, you know, God loves her, you know, just yeah. as much as your other kids. And yet I'm sure I've talked to parents who have kids with Down syndrome or, you know, different, uh, you know, situations that have said, Hey, that was like one, uh, dad uh told me he said in all honesty i said it was the best day of my life and the worst day of my life the day my son was born uh, talk about what your daughter's experience has meant for you and your life yeah and as i talk about this i want to talk to families if they're younger and they're earlier in the process to realize we've had 20 years with isabella and and so there's there's a whole process you're going to a mourning process you're going to go through right so i call my first years with her were kind of my angry years because i was disappointed that god would touch her or heal her i was upset that things weren't different because she hasn't walked or talked mm. and i would say that was like three or four years of that there was just a lot of turmoil that came through and i can remember one day officiating a wedding in north idaho the barns over here and the little white cheat chairs and i realized I'm never going to walk my daughter down the aisle. It mm. hits me in that moment mm -hmm. and tears well up in my eyes. And I'm just like, this is unfair and unjust. And I go back to my car and I'm complaining to God and God gives me this perspective in my heart, but you'll get to walk your daughter down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mm. And her first word will be Jesus. Her first dance will be in my presence. And it's like my whole perspective changed, even though my circumstances didn't change. And so now when I look at her, are there days where it's tougher than others? Of course. But I look at her and I say, you know, I look forward to eternity because heaven's going to be a sweet place where all this stuff is taken care of. And my perspective has shifted. And again, I want to be careful because that's taken 20 years to arrive at right, that point. Right, right? right. So I don't want to talk to someone who's, who's finding out today that they have a disabled child. Give yourself time to process it. But that's where, how our perspective was remolded. I love that. It's, it's so beautiful because, you know, if we, are truly the pro-life generation and the pro-life community and we believe in the sanctity of human life, then we are completely fine with, you know, the, what, yeah. the, the, the presence that God gives us. Yeah. And I love the fact that there could be some people right now who needed to hear what you needed, what you shared with them, yeah. Brian, because I, my, my first year as an internship, I had a Bible study with a dad who was uh, the father of a daughter. She was 35 years of age. She had cerebral palsy. And they had worked out a way where they could communicate. And I would spend an hour with them every Friday at the hospital where she lived. And this guy was an engineer. He had, he had a, right. just a really heavy duty job. And he spent eight to 10 hours a day at the hospital with his daughter just to make sure that she was being treated properly and this, that, and the other thing. And when she eventually went home to be with the Lord, and I just can, I can hear Kalina singing and running and jumping and whatever. Our church held about 250 people. It was standing room only. Right. She had teachers from kindergarten and you know, all right. family, friends, and people who knew she had such an impact on their life. 
And, uh, and as you were sharing your, your story, I appreciate you being so vulnerable about that because yeah. the peacemaking process oftentimes involves us getting honest with God and saying, Hey God, what is this? Right. What, I, I'm, I'm not at peace with you until you help me understand this. And, and your wisdom is just showing a lot. And I, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Brian, we've got about a minute left in our conversation. I'm getting all weepy. <laughs> Bring us yeah. back to the center here. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we talk about um, in the in peacemaking, and I mentioned uh, this earlier, is the burden of others. You know, you talk about this in, in what Paul writes in Galatians too. I think it'd be a great way for us to conclude because oftentimes we do think of peacemaking as we're getting what we want. And if the only we could just get the other person to figure that out, then we would have peace, right? Right. But but talk about why it's important, as important for us to not only own our own stuff, but also to basically say, hey, we want to, I want to bear the burden of the person that I'm maybe in conflict with right now. Talk about that. Yeah, it's interesting when Paul writes that, he talks about burden and load. And, and, and one is carry your own load and bear each other's burdens, right? Mm -hmm. And so Paul takes both personal responsibility and compassionate uh, friendship or neighborliness that we are to, to, to help each other with their burdens. And so to look at that, each side of that coin is really to put a proper place. And there's kind of two different types of people. There's some who pick up things they shouldn't pick up, right? They, they grab onto things that aren't their responsibility, but then there's others who forsake the responsibility that God has entrusted to them. And so it's discerning that as we go, like, God, what's the burden I'm supposed to help out here? And what's my own load that I'm supposed to carry. And so as we go through that scripture and look at it closely, it's a beautiful picture because he says, gently restore each other, uh, looking to ourselves first, that ideal of humility, looking yes. into our own hearts as we go through this, because oftentimes what I've found, and this is nothing new, is that the things that's annoying me about someone else are the very things that I have a tendency <laughs> to do. Guilty as charged. Guilty yeah. as charged. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, this resource is, I just think it's so practical and I'm grateful that you have published it and uh, that we had a chance to have a conversation about it. The book is called Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, The Importance of Biblical Peacemaking, Justice and Restoration. We've got a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, written by pastor and author P. Brian Noble. And Brian, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in this area. You're a living example and testimony of how blessed are the peacemakers uh, really can be lived out in each of our lives. Thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Well, delightful conversation about an important topic today here on The Bottom Line. My thanks again to Brian Noble for joining me for this discussion about the path of the peacemaker and how important it is uh, for us in the body of Christ to live as peacemakers. These uh, Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking is the name of the book. We have a link up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, but two copies of the book to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you never thought of yourself as a peacemaker before or engaging in reconciliation type of ministries, now is a perfect time to take those first steps. And I think about you know our earlier segment where I talked about the Wisconsin State Supreme Court and how there was a victory, not for Republicans or Democrats, but I think a, a victory for the Constitution when the Wisconsin State Supreme Court ruled in favor of those challenging the actions of the Wisconsin Election Commi Committee, uh, who said you could set up drop boxes anywhere, which is a direct violation of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Constitution. And so the fact that that happened, now you see leftists going, well, Donald Trump's still making baseless claims, and the right saying, see, the election was stolen. And we can step in the middle of that conversation and say, hey, let's make peace here. Let, let's talk about this. You heard Brian talk about having a forum at his church where they had a Democrat candidate, Republican candidate, 
and they were going back and forth in the forum. And when he stepped in and said, hey, let's not personalize this. Let's talk about the actual issues, how everybody didn't talk over each other, and they had a chance to really make a go of it. So this election season will be a perfect time for us to demonstrate our peacemaking skills as opposed to peacekeeping that says, you tell me what I'm supposed to think, and I'll just think that way, and, and we'll just do whatever you want, and then we're all living as peacemakers. Right? That's not the goal at all. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Two copies of Brian Noble's book on peacemaking. 800-227-5278. Give us a call right now here at the bottom line. My thanks again to P. Brian Noble. We know the P stands for Paul, and uh, there's a great story of reconciliation there about how he started uh, incorporating his dad's first name, which is also his first name, into his writing and his ministry. The book Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have two copies of this book to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, the Over the weekend, Lisa and I were meeting up with our daughter Taylor and her husband Christian uh, doing a little granddaughter swap, and someone in the parking lot at the place where we had met up uh, didn't like the way I parked, and then I was moving the car to put somewhere else, and he kind of came running at me. And uh, after the kids had gone home, Taylor called her mom and said, hey, uh, is everything okay with that guy in the parking lot? And Lisa said, yeah, this guy mad-dogged Roger. <laughs> and I chuckled first because I thought, it's been a while since someone came up to me like, hey, you want to go? But I thought about peacemaking from the perspective of what happens when someone's coming at you and they don't like what you said, what you did, the way you did it, whatever it was. And you are trying to respond spiritually, but they're coming at you completely in the flesh. I encourage you, first and foremost, to be so saturated in the spirit, in God's word, in prayer, in Christian fellowship, that your first thought would be one that you've already taken captive that says, I'm not going to engage in fighting with someone, whether it's a verbal spat online or a political debate or something like that, but rather I'm going to look at their needs and see how I can serve us best by serving them first in terms of making peace. And that's part of the wisdom that Brian Noble talks about in the book, Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking. Two copies to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC crowd, enjoy your time with Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up at 4 o'clock. Uh, bottom line show extra tonight at 7 and bottom line rewind tomorrow morning at 10.30. For those who remain on the network, a Walk the Talk Super Tuesday segment about one leader in the church who's actually taken steps to defuse the argument and literally baseless claims of a pro-abortion zealot. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Let freedom ring and peace and love and First Amendment stuff and all. It's, it's definitely election season. And you know, I, I have to remind us all here on the network that the reason why this time of year is really critical, as you'll recall here in the People's Republic of California, where the show originates from, the majority of uh, the summer months were filled last year with recall Gavin Newsom stuff. And Larry Elder made his campaign known. And brothers and sisters, please take heart. For those who are liberty-loving, conservative, constitutional Americans who just happen to live in the People's Republic of California, the reality is um, we didn't come too far from knocking Gavin Newsom off of his perch. 
And the fact that uh, last week I was rather animated in our Super Tuesday segment about Governor Newsom running ads on the 4th of July, talking about it to people in the state of Florida saying, hey, come back to California. We'll, re- we'll give you all the things that you want. And I tore that 30 second ad apart simply because it was just not true. I get so tired and I know you do too of hearing about the big lie, the baseless claims, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I will be the first to acknowledge that when you look at what happened with the election, for example, there were 40 or 50 challenges that the Trump administration actually levied in court and they lost all of them. But there have been other challenges that have been very successful. There have been election integrity laws that have been upheld and actually in the early parts of the primaries have been you know, proven to be true. So was there rigging? Was there some backroom dealing going on? Absolutely, no question. Was it stolen from the president? I don't believe you can say it's stolen, but I think the big lie part is something that we need to stand up to. And so during the next half hour here on this program, I'm going to take our Super Tuesday segment and we are going to stand up to the big lie that somehow Roe versus Wade is going to do irreparable damage to our nation and that pregnancy resource centers are the problem. All right, so let's take a look at this now. I mean, the, 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 the situation at hand involves Democrats on the left spreading the big lie that crisis pregnancy center, anything they say about pregnancy resource centers, you know about the, uh, the partnership we have with Preborn, the group that has been uh, providing sponsorship for the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. This is an organization that provides free ultrasounds. They actually raise money to get free ultrasound machines, that they do their level best to make sure that everybody who is looking for a pregnancy test and a pregnancy uh, resource like an ultrasound can actually get it. The pregnancy resource centers are providing diapers and formula. They're providing clothing. They're providing assistance for adoption. If a woman is pregnant and decides she wants to place her child up for adoption. Uh, I I have a friend who works in the foster industry. She says, we talk about releasing a child for adoption. Oh, that's such a great visual. It's wonderful. The work of the pregnancy resource center has, has just, it's evolved over the past 20 years to become a thing of beauty. And the idea that the left can call these so-called, uh, you know, anti-abortion clinics and, and uh, that they don't offer women abortive care, blah, blah, blah. Well, they got a mouthpiece over the past week and I'm going to walk down the conversation. Uh, this is very interesting. Um, Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, uh, Patty Murray, a so-called pseudo-moderate, a sort of Democrat from uh, Washington State and others have been just leading the charge, banging the drum, if you will, against the pregnancy resource centers. Now, I'll be honest with you. I got a, an article here that we're going to put up at thebottomlineshow.com from our friends at Faithwire, Billy Hallowell, who's a contributor to The Bottomline Show. And it says, fact check, pregnancy, crisis pregnancy center leader responds to Elizabeth Warren's pro-life crackdown uh, that debunks pro-choice claims. I don't want us to get in the habit of calling a pregnancy resource center a crisis pregnancy center. Here's why. Because first and foremost, initially, when Roe versus Wade passed in 1973, and then Planned Parenthood versus Casey was passed in 1992, they kind of re-upped on Roe. The idea was everything was about the birth of the child. The left said, we don't want children to be born if you don't want a child to be born. In other words, if you don't want to be pregnant, you shouldn't have to be pregnant. They focused on the pregnancy, not the child. The anti-abortion crowd focused on the child first and said, this is a child, you're killing the child, don't kill the child, don't kill the child. 
It took the, preg- the pro-life community at least 20 years to figure out that if they wanted to win the argument, if they wanted to even have the discussion and keep the left from sidestepping it, they had to stop assuming that the left actually believes that the quote-unquote clump of tissues is anything more than just that. This was a, I mean, if you've ever done mission work where you go into a culture, I had friends years ago, a guy was a high school basketball coach, he and his wife, she was a caterer, uh, Randy and Colleen Karcher, delightful people. Randy was really taken with the work of, I think it was Wycliffe Bible Translators. They quit, he quit his public school teaching job and they moved to Papua New Guinea where they worked as educators and helpers, I believe at the school where the missionary kids are being educated so that the Wycliffe Bible translators could go in to these somewhat savage nations and translate scripture. Now, to do so, it wasn't just a question of saying, hey, let me find the Bible in, your, in, in English and I'll translate it into whatever your native tongue is. In some cases, Bible translators go into areas where there is no written language. And so you have to go in and you have to basically teach people how to write and teach people how to read before you can put the Bible in the language that they now write and read and understand it. It could take generations to get that done. In the pro-life community, the fact that it took us 20 to 25 years to figure this issue out, I think is somewhat noteworthy. Finally, in the pregnancy resource world, finally in the pro-life community, we've stopped saying things like, we want to ban abortions because that's the only thing we're here for. One of the biggest and easiest attacks that the pro-abortion crowd can make on the pro-life crowd, you're just pro-birth, you're not pro-life. And we have to stop being only pro-birth. I think we've done a good job of it. Pregnancy resource centers are doing a remarkable job of saying, look, okay, if we want to be pro-life, then we have to take the life of the baby as well as the life of the mother into consideration. Or maybe better to say life of the mother as well as the life of the baby into consideration. And that means, first and foremost, when mom finds out she's pregnant, well, did mom find out she's pregnant? Do you know how many abortion clinics will charge women for a pregnancy test that pregnancy resource centers will provide for free? That's number one. Number two, how far along are you going to get a proper pelvic exam? The claim, the claim from the left is, oh, no, these people are here and they're, they're unlicensed and they're, they're, they're not documented and they don't have government backing and this, that, and the other thing. When you see the number of men and women who are licensed MDs and NPs and, and PAs, and, and if you work in that industry, you know the term. Here's an issue. Uh, Time.com ran an article on June the 27th. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeted this out. With Roe gone, it's more important than ever to crack down on so-called quote-unquote crisis pregnancy centers that mislead and deceive patients seeking abortion care. My bill, along with Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey, would stop these harmful practices. Now, first and foremost, brothers and sisters, I can't be more clear about this. Please hear me when I say this. When the left says harmful practices, it gets people's attention. We have to pay attention to the language that we use and the way we use it. It's very interesting. Here's an article in Time magazine. Here's the headline. Anti-abortion centers databases could be weaponized post-Roe. Pregnancy centers collect personal health data on millions of women, potentially exposing them to new legal risks. Um, first and foremost, to my knowledge... I don't, I don't understand that so-called logic that the pro-life pregnancy resource center would somehow be exposing the names of the women who go there uh, 
to potential legal risks. What risk would there be if abortion is illegal at a, in, in a state and a pregnancy resource center does not offer abortion, then there is no legal risk for a woman who goes to a pregnancy resource center. Not one. The fact that Time Magazine would actually say anti-abortion centers databases could be weaponized post-row. Who's going to weaponize them? Who's going to weaponize them? The same people who weaponize the supporters of uh, laws that would legalize traditional marriage as the constitutional standard, not same sex. Here in the People's Republic of California, we know of a restaurant owner who literally was shut down. Heck, when you get right down to it, if you've ever used Mozilla Firefox before, the guy who invented Firefox was pushed off the board of directors by his own team for making a $1,000 donation in support of Proposition 8 which would have enshrined in the Constitution of California that marriage is between a man and a woman. He gave a $1,000 donation. There was a restaurant owner who gave a $1,000 donation, and they basically burned the place down, metaphorically, if not figured, uh, literally. The idea that, that, that somehow it, it's the pro-life pregnancy resource centers who would be weaponizing their databases and putting women at legal risk is a lie. And yet Time Magazine publishes it, no problem. But then someone says, hey, I'm challenging election integrity in Arizona. Oh, there you go with your baseless claims again. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it one bit. And I encourage you to not buy it either. Let's take a quick break. And as we continue, uh, Elizabeth Warren doubled down the day before Independence Day with regard to pregnancy resource centers. She's shocked because of one fatal flaw that they all have. And it has not occurred to her why this fatal flaw is actually in play. And then we'll take a look at how we debunk the claims that the left is making with regard to the quote-unquote dangers of pregnancy resource centers. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You're unlikely to surprise Brian Edgel, a real estate broker with a law degree. Kbright's smart choice home seller has sold over 400 homes, likely including one in your area. Brian's longevity in the real estate industry equips him to help you navigate tricky situations that a less experienced real estate agent might not have encountered before. Recently, a client needed to sell a home contained in a trust. With his legal background, Brian has written his own trust in the past. He's also been the successor trustee for his own parents, so he can easily explain all the confusing details to the client. Brian has sold homes in foreclosure for clients in bankruptcy. After 20 years of selling homes, Brian prefers to handle the process personally instead of handing off the transaction to an assistant because he knows how to communicate clearly to his clients, eliminating the stress of the unknown. Call Brian Edgel now for qualified guidance at only 2.9% total commission. 800-969-3992. Again, 800-969-3992. Or go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Welcome back to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Varsh. By the way, don't forget, tomorrow is Wednesday, because today is Tuesday. And tomorrow is an Everyone Wednesday here at the Bottom Line Show. We will be airing a couple of interviews with some premiums, some gifts uh, to give, you know, maybe a copy of this book. Or I haven't quite decided on what we're going to be offering uh, as far as that goes. But just know that on Wednesday, everybody who calls the program is going to win something. All right, so keep the numbers handy. If you're listening to the Bottom Line Show Network, it's 800-227-5278. If you're listening on KLTT, 303-481-1800. We've got a special uh, Denver-only number for our listeners on KLTT, but I encourage you to 
Check this out. Okay, Super Tuesday, and we're talking about elections. And, of course, uh, one of the things that Democrats are hoping for desperately is that abortion and the overturning of Roe versus Wade will, in fact, actually be a campaign issue. And the reason they want it to be a campaign issue is because they want to fundraise on it. They want to scare Americans into thinking that somehow their lives are going to end if they can't kill innocent children in the womb. And they've already started their smear campaign to get this done. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts is leading the charge. Uh, She's been tweeting like crazy over the past couple weeks. And I must admit, I'm kind of bummed that Elon Musk isn't going to run Twitter. That kind of stinks. But nonetheless, I mentioned the 27th of June when she tweeted out an article uh, in time.com, anti-abortion centers databases could be weaponized post-row. Pregnancy centers collect personal health data on millions of women, potentially exposing them to new legal risks. Nope. Nope, not at all. The abortion law was overturned federally on June 24th, 2022, which is going to be so nice to share that date instead of having to keep reminding us of the 22nd of January, 1973. But they're trying to make it sound like every woman who's ever had an abortion or a miscarriage in the United States could potentially wind up in jail because Roe versus Wade was overturned. And that's just not true. First of all, the law was not overturned till June 24th. Secondly, half the states in America still offer abortions. Third, this was with regard to surgical abortion. There's still the so-called chemical abortion or the abortion pill, and there are all sorts of loopholes around that. Even the Guttmacher Institute estimated that with Roe overturned, 87% of women in America who want an abortion will be able to get an abortion. But the statistics are becoming more overwhelming, too, that all this nonsense and gobbledygook about the fact that the Democrat, well, you know, what what about the rape and incest and the woman's health and blah, blah, blah. Statistically, the numbers show that between 80 and 90 percent of abortions are because a woman had sex, got pregnant, didn't want to be pregnant, thought she was using protection or her partner was protected. And when they found out they were pregnant, they said, well, just get rid of this because I don't want to be pregnant. Not because of economic problems, not because of the health of the mother, not because of the health of the child, not because the child was conceived in rape, not because the child was conceived in incest, but because they just didn't want to be pregnant. Full stop. And George Barda's information also indicates 50% of American women who've had abortions did so because they didn't know they had any other options. So that's a black eye on the pro-life community for us getting the word out and letting people know, hey, look, when you're pregnant, mom, You've got three options. Option number one, congratulations, you're a mother. Bring that little baby home and raise him or her and just have a great time with it. Number two, bring that child to term. And if you want to adopt that child, there are hundreds of thousands of kids in foster care right now. And there are exponentially more parents who want to adopt. The question with foster care, that's one of the things that we're seeing, the scare tactics from the left. If they're saying, oh, no, I mean, there'll be more kids in foster. We'll, be, we'll overrun the foster care system. Well, they're already overstretched the limit and this, that, and the other thing. And that's not true. In Kentucky, as an example, the governor there, when Andy Brashear was governor, he announced a plan to place every child in a home and said we could have done it in two years. But then we would have run into a problem because then we'd have this big, huge system of foster care in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and there won't be any kids in it. But what happens if we did have need for it again? I mean, kids are going to come in and out of that system all the time. And we've got this infrastructure that's designed to house tens of thousands of kids, and it might have 20 or 30. 
That's a, that's the real fear. The whole, we're going to overrun the system with kids and foster care, that's not the problem. Foster care knows exactly what it's doing right now. They keep as many kids in there as they can. They overly aggressively use child protective services to make sure that their coffers are full so they'll keep getting money from the state. You think I'm kidding? Trust me. <laughs> One of these occupational hazards. About 10 years ago now, it's actually June of 2013, I believe, when Assemblyman Tim Donnelly was representing the 8th District here in the People's Republic of California. There was a family recently immigrated from Russia. They had a small child, a young boy by the name of Sammy. He was five months old. He was taken to a hospital. He was diagnosed with like a brain tumor or something like that. The doctors there decided they wanted to do surgery. And Sammy's parents had the audacity to ask for a second opinion. The doctors wouldn't allow for a second opinion. So Sammy's mom and dad packed him up and took him home. Within days, Child Protective Services was knocking at the door saying, hey, we're taking your kid. You violated a state order. It took them a couple of weeks to get him back. The media went nuts with it. We had a big rally at the state capitol. It's kind of fun to be there with all these folks. But the reality was Child Protective Services was really interested in having a five-month-old in their care because that meant that kid would be in foster care for another 18 years. Now, if you work in the social foster care system, you're doing a heroic work. And it's this, obviously, this is not aimed at the social workers. It's aimed at the way the system is set up. But the idea that the left would scream and howl over the fact that, oh, we got this big problem, we're all going to be overrun, just isn't true. The fact that now, for in America today, the number of couples who want to adopt children, for every one child who is placed in adoption, there are 37 other couples who are qualified and ready and willing to have that child placed in their home. I know there are bottom line listeners who've run the emotional gamut on this. I hear from you. You get a kid in foster care and you foster them for a year or two and then you want to adopt them and all of a sudden mom and dad shows up and, and I know what it's like to talk to the moms who said, look, I am that close to my foster kid. They are like our children. We want to adopt them. But here comes the left. Elizabeth Warren tweeted out on July the 3rd, in Massachusetts, so-called crisis pregnancy centers outnumber legitimate abortion care providers three to one. Now notice the language she used again. So-called crisis pregnancy center. We can't think of this as a crisis. Pregnancy resource center does a much better job of explaining what we do and who we are, number one. But number two, outnumber legitimate abortion care providers. Notice it's always providing care. Transgender, you know, gender affirming care. Not mutilating a boy's body to make it so he won't be male or female. It's always legitimate abortion care. Show me the care that the child is experiencing as he's having leg number one ripped off and then leg number two. And then you've got to take the arms off because that's the only way that 19 to 20 week old child will fit through the womb, through the uterus, full delivery. And Elizabeth Warren calls it abortion care and pregnant. But here's what she's mad about. We need to crack down on these deceptive practices. Deceptive practices? Are you freaking kidding me? What could be more deceptive? You come to a pregnancy resource center, and what's the first thing they do? They give you a free pregnancy test. Yeah, murderers, lion snakes. Okay, and then what do they do? Oh, then they show you an ultrasound, and then you watch the baby, and oh, you get to see the baby in the womb formed perfectly. Six, seven, eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks old. Heartbeat, nervous system, you can see all that. Now go to Planned Parenthood in Massachusetts and ask for a free pregnancy test. They'll laugh you out of the room. They, they'll give you hormone replacement therapy so you can shoot estrogen into your teenage son's body and try to make him into a girl. 
But a free pregnancy test and a Planned Parenthood? <laughs> are you kidding? We're a nonprofit organization. How are we supposed to survive? And then ask for an ultrasound. And while you're at it, ask for a mammogram too. As a matter of fact, there was, there was a movement several years ago called Mammogram Mondays where pro-lifers would call Planned Parenthood, but they were always talking about, you know, breast exams and fighting to end breast cancer. And they'd say, I'd like to schedule a mammogram. And the Planned Parenthood would have to say, well, we have to refer you somewhere else because we don't have mammography machines. Because they don't. But the reason I bring this up is not just to play tit for tat with them, but here's Elizabeth Warren in a tweet quoting her in Massachusetts, so-called crisis pregnancy centers outnumber legitimate abortion care providers three to one. Stop right there. There's a reason why there are three times as many pregnancy resource centers in Massachusetts as there are abortion providers. Number one, because there's a demand for pregnancy resource care. Number two, there's not a big demand for abortion. Now, here she comes with the next line, which is just a lie. It's a flat-out lie. She says, and I quote, we need to crack down on the deceptive practices these centers use to prevent people from getting abortion care, and I've got a bill to do just that. Wow, the deceptive practices. You know what those deceptive practices are, Senator Warren? First of all, they'll give you a free pregnancy test. Second of all, they'll give you an ultrasound, and they'll show you the ultrasound images. Third, they'll tell you what all three options you have are either become a mother, release the child for adoption, or kill the kid in the womb. Now, in the People's Republic of California, there was a law that was passed several years ago that makes it illegal for a pregnancy resource center to not tell parents where they could potentially abort their child. But they don't have the same bill going in the other direction for abortion clinics. You go to an abortion clinic, they don't have to tell you about pregnancy resource centers. They don't have to tell you about where adoptions can be found. And yet here's Elizabeth Warren saying we need to crack down on the deceptive practices of pregnancy resource centers. If you're running a pregnancy resource center and you're not telling people where they can get an abortion, I need to ask the question, why not? Not that you would expect them to get an abortion, but rather... Why not let them know what all their options are? I'll tell you statistically why that's a good way to go coming up next as the bottom line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market, you go back. You want to put it into a CD, you go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you can earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, our Super Tuesday edition of the broadcast. And we're taking a look at doing a little fact checking here, courtesy of uh, Jordan Godsey, who's the president of Heartbeat International. Uh, this is a Check this out. Uh, Planned Parenthood has 665 abortion centers nationwide. Um, Heartbeat International, a pro-life pregnancy resource center group, has 3,000 affiliate locations all over the world. When it comes to fact-checking, you know, the, the pregnancy resource centers and what they don't do, 
here's the thing. Um, what about pro-choice advocates who say that pregnancy resource centers do not offer any medical care and don't have any medical personnel as their staff? According to Heartbeat International, uh, we count all the pregnancy centers in the U.S. and 70% of them are providing medical services. And the way that's happening is they're providing medical services through licensed medical physicians and healthcare workers. Each clinic is different, of course, they serve different needs, but they have medical doctors, they have sonographers on staff, some of them are even paid, many of them are volunteers. The fact that Elizabeth Warren can tell a bald-faced lie, like these places aren't, they're not licensed, simply because some pregnancy resource centers will not give a referral to an abortion clinic, that wipes the whole thing off for her. The reality is the liars are working at the abortion clinics. I was talking to a very noted Christian singer from a few years ago, talking about her being 17, 18, having an, uh, an abortion because when she went to the abortion clinic, she said, the only option I had was they asked me, do you want to schedule your abortion for tomorrow or next Monday? That was it. Those were the options she had. George Barna's research indicates now the number of women who are having abortions are having them simply because they don't know they have any other options. Our friends with preborn are actually having tremendous success just with ultrasound machines, finding that 85% of the women who have an ultrasound will either carry the child to term and become a parent or carry the child to term and release for adoption. Some will still choose abortion. We're not expecting that it, this, all of this activity is going to eliminate abortion once and for all. But there is so much money in the abortion lobby and there's so much misinformation that's being spread by the left with regard to the sanctity of human life but the reality is uh, we have to just keep fact-checking and telling the truth. And please, I encourage you, if you found this segment to be helpful, this whole half hour here on the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show, go to thebottomlineshow.com at the end of the broadcast, grab the audio from our SoundCloud file, and share it with your friends. Or you can find the same link at rogermarsh.com or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever we're podcasting. Share this information with people because nothing will defeat lies better and more effectively than the truth shared in love you know you don't get have you don't have to get all hot and bothered like i am <laughs> but you could easily uh you can easily uh take a look at this from a, a more biblical perspective I mean, obviously i'm taking a biblical perspective as well but do it so with gentleness and respect to just help people to understand look at the end of the day god is the creator of life he's the creator of all human life and all life on earth and all of that life has value in his economy and not just the lives that people decide are worthy to be born like the left does. And that's the bottom line on that.